0: Hello and welcome back to Podcasts from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. You can follow this weekly podcast on the digital platform of the Financial Mail, South Africa's world-class weekly finance and investment magazine, and on the Apple and Spotify podcast channels as well. You can hear podcasts from the Edge all around the world. President Cyril Ramaphosa jetted off to the re-inauguration of the re-elected president of Zimbabwe, Emerson Mangagwa, uh, on Monday. Cheerfully blowing away criticism, even this time, from African election observers that the election wasn't free or fair. We could reasonably have predicted this before the election, anyway. Stealing elections is how the ruling party in our northern neighbor stays in power. South Africa provides vital cover for this, uh, um, for this intrigue, this deceit. The ANC maintains solid fraternal relations with ZANU PF, and South African presidents from Nelson Mandela through to Cyril Ramaphosa have routinely turned a blind eye to the horrors of living in Zimbabwe. And Ramaphosa said just last week that while the election of Nangagwa might not have been perfect, no election anywhere was. And that was it. A shrug of the shoulders, a dismissal of democracy, and a disgraceful and quick look-in at the party up north before returning to the day job, part of which will involve, at every opportunity, complaining about non-existent Western sanctions against Zimbabwe In complaining about the presence here in South Africa of so many Zimbabwean migrants. I guess that living as he has to, with a foot in the twilight zone, being leader of the ANC, and the other in the real world, putting two and two together is seldom in Ramaphosa's interests. But obviously the reason there are so many Zimbabweans living in South Africa is that Zimbabwe is simply beyond repair, simply unlivable. You could see that when uh, Ramaphosa addressed the nation on Sunday evening on television. The idea was to update us all on the recent BRICS summit in Johannesburg and on the report of the inquiry into the presence last December at at our main Simonstown naval base of a Russian freighter called the Lady R. Ramaphosa turns to lead in front of almost every camera, even if he's reading his speech off a prompt And he plodded fairly unenthusiastically through a mountain of praise for the BRICS meeting, saying that its crowning achievement had been a call for the reform of the United Nations, especially membership of the Security Council, arguably the most exclusive club in the world, numbering uh, just the US, Britain, France, and Russia and China. Each country has the ability to veto any decision made by the other four, it's an arrangement that sprung out of the Second World War. These five are the core countries that beat the Germans and the Japanese, although you could argue that the French are lucky to be there. And it's also easy to forget that by the time Hitler invaded Poland on September the 1st, 1939, he had signed a pact with the Russian leader, Joseph Stalin, to divide, to divide up Poland. The Russians occupied it eastern Poland three weeks later in the same year. History to the modern South African leadership, though, consists of what suits it. Apartheid is never obviously to be forgotten, totalitarians carving up Europe and literally carving up Europeans, a mere footnote. The drive to get wider developing world membership of the Security Council, that is the permanent membership alongside the current five, is as old as the hills. People have been going on about it um, forever. I remember it being talked about in the 60s by the then youthful, now largely Decrepit and redundant non-aligned movement. Ramaphosa said on Sunday it was all about creating, quote, a fairer and more inclusive world order. Whenever you hear somebody talking about a new world order, run. It's time for them to check their pacemakers, but Ramaphosa has clearly forgotten what it was that made the whole world applaud when Nelson Mandela walked out of prison and when we held our first democratic election in 1994. It was because freedom had won here over subjection. Democracy had won over totalitarianism, but now in Cyril's new world order, the yardsticks are Russia and China. Both he couldn't help himself but point out. Already BRICS members, how exciting. How easy was it for him not to ask the obvious questions? If he is pursuing a fairer world, as he said he was, why not ask the countries and leaders he is marching towards it with to fix their own houses before they try and fix the world? The modern measure surely of fairer and more inclusive is more democracy. Hold free and fair elections, at least try. New members were introduced to BRICS in Johannesburg. Saudi Arabia, Iran, United Arab Emirates, Ethiopia. No signs of any upcoming elections in any of them, in any of them, no freedom either. Why is this okay? How can dictatorships, one party states, monarchies, autocracies possibly create a fairer and more inclusive world, let alone the new ones. Russia and China, about as free and fair as Zimbabwe. Even not worse. The answer is that they can't. The more power you give to people who run these kind of countries, the more the world will begin to look like them. And South Africans who cheer this kind of behaviour on have either forgotten what oppression feels like, or they were born too late to experience it, white nationalist star. How would making Iran a permanent member of the Security Council possibly help the world become a fairer place if you take Ramaphosa's long view? The President also went on and on about how an expanding BRICS would make it easier to grow our economy. But he typically didn't say how. In fact, it's just a foolish thought. BRICS is not and never has been a trading bloc, and if anything, our exports to China have not only stagnated in the period since we joined the BRICS, They've remained overwhelmingly the same. Basic stuff, minerals and ores. We give them rocks, they send us machines. We run a trade surplus with the US in spite of the sophisticated manufacturing goods we send to that market. The big Chinese trade concession at the BRICS conference, just two weeks ago, is that they would deign to allow our avocados into their market. Cue wild celebrations. But still, if Ramaphosa sees BRICS as a block, Perhaps that's the intention after all, despite many earnest assurances to the contrary. Certainly that would be how the Chinese leader Xi Jinping sees it. Fresh from landing back home from the BRICS summit, he announced he wouldn't he wouldn't be attending the G twenty summit in India this month. Already you can see him sculpting his New World Order. I suppose one shouldn't mock too much. Few countries are able to claim that their foreign policies are contradiction free, hell. The president of the United States held a summit with the president of North Korea in Singapore just a few years back in 2018. That it was Donald Trump tells you a little bit about people in history who think they're actually making history rather than just being swept along by it. But as far as BRICS is concerned, I fear Ramaphosa will have a long wait. Because of technology, history moves along a little quicker today than it has in the past. The Moors ruled Spain for more than 600 years. The US has been a world power for about 70 years and rules nowhere outside its own borders. The Russian Empire, uh, begun by Ivan the Terrible in the 16th century, is still in the process of disintegrating, probably the last slow puncture in the world. The fall of the Berlin Wall was a high point in the collapse, as was the rise of Mikhail Gorbachev. Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine will almost certainly be another step worth marking. Time, though, is moving quickly for ambitious, ambitious BRICS leaders like Ramaphosa. He's just got five more years in office, assuming the best. How will things pan out? His reforms at home are painfully slow and probably too few. South Africa's perched on the very edge of failure, at least at the level of the state. The second big thing at the summit, he said, was the decision to expand it. This was a process Much desired by the Russians and the Chinese, who need a large block they can call their own. But the growth benefits to South Africa are not clear. There is no way under present rules and conditions that BRICS membership increases our trade or even tourism. And Ramaphosa simply blowing smoke up our collective by suggesting otherwise. In fact, it's not even clear yet that Saudi Arabia, Argentina, Egypt or the UAE will actually join the BRICS in 2024, as announced. For now they will regard themselves simply as having been invited, but you can bet your bottom dollar the Americans will be lobbying them all hard not to join between now and then, and we'll see in a few months. As for the Lady R in Simonstown, the judicial inquiry ordered by Ramaposa came very late in the day, proof if anything that his government is asleep at the wheel. It was all theatre in a sense. The Lady R, a sanctioned Russian freighter, was escorted into Simonstown, which Cyril managed to mispronounce a Town on TV one evening early last December. Naval personnel at the base were cleared away from the ship, and private contractors were driven in under cover of darkness for a few nights to unload cargo and drive it, I'm told, to a military base north of Pretoria. It was all very secretive and suspicious, particularly as the Department of Defence would make no statement on the docking, and it was all happening in full view of the nosy inhabitants with their binoculars, of Simmonstown. Earlier this year, the U.S. ambassador to South Africa, Reuben Brigati, raised the temperature—you could say just ever so slightly—he said he'd bet his life that he that we had loaded weapons onto the ship, the Lady R, and not merely offloaded, an old weapons and ammunitions order for our special so for, special forces. Brigati's outburst crashed the round and almost broke our relationship with the U.S. And why, you had to ask yourself, after all, would a whole US ambassador say such a thing if there were no truth to it? Well, it turns out there wasn't, and a number of reports, including I'm relieved to say my own, said so at the time. We do make ammunition here, but it is to a NATO 155mm standard and the Russians don't use it, certainly not in the conventional invasion they've launched against Ukraine. Brigadier's position here must be now in doubt. Uh, and he will absolutely no doubt spend a long time pushing paper back in the State Department in Washington before being entrusted with another embassy, if ever. But the inquiry itself seems to have been decidedly uncurious. If the Lady R was expected, why did it first sail past the Cape and turn off its transponder off the Agullis Banks, way past Simonstown, Simonstown? Why did it offload at a naval base and not a commercial port like Cape Town? who ordered the naval escort into False Bay. Ramaphosa said he wasn't releasing the whole report, but it is also not clear to even ask these questions. It's all very unsatisfactory. And as he cheers along Emerson Nangagwa in Arari, we must all hope that he gets no comfort from watching a man steal an election. The fact is Ramaphosa is hanging out with some dangerous new friends these days, and they'll use them for whatever benefit they can get. He claims he's neutral, that we are neutral. That won't save him or us when the savage hearts he now draws closer to in the name of fairness and inclusivity. Use our good name to justify horrible acts of terrorism in the Ukraine or the rest of Eastern Europe against Taiwan or in the South China Sea. Desmond Tutu is often credited with the quote, and I'm not sure whether he was, but I'm going to credit it to him too, because it suits him, because he was a decent man. If you're neutral in situations of injustice, he said, You've chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse and you say you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. God, don't we miss Desmond Tutu. Anyway, that's probably enough from me. Thank you so much for listening and I'll be back here soon. Bye-bye.